The following program is brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novos Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovosOrdoWatch.org. That's NovosOrdoWatch.org. Welcome to Apologetics Show Number Nine on member-supported Restoration Radio. I'm your host Phil Stone, and we have, as usual, our guest Bishop Donald Sanborn, Rector of Most Holy Trinity Seminary in Brooksville, Florida. Welcome back to you, my Lord, and I'm happy to say welcome back to an era of President-elect Donald Trump. Uh, yes, yes, we're you know we're, we're, the biggest thing for us was the, the defeat of Hillary. We were all just just you know in tears over the thought of perhaps eight years of Hillary Clinton. Uh, you know, she's a fanatic for everything that's leftist. And uh, so, you know, uh, Donald Trump is not a perfect person by any means, uh, far from it, but he was espousing some very good ideas, especially toward the end of his campaign. Yes. And uh, he really uh, set on fire a lot of people in this country uh, who abandoned, they were usually Democrats, they abandoned the Democrats this time and went for the Republicans. and. Uh, yes, it was a big surprise. Everyone thought that, and as she did, that she was going to show up at the Democratic uh, convention or whatever you know where they meet to to look at the the results, <coughs> and that she would be anointed and crowned the queen of the whole world <laughs> at that at that point. And little by little, you know, I saw the states, the battleground states, because you you can predict most of the states where they're going. But there were battleground states and big ones yes. that were turning red on the map. <laughs> and this started about 9 or 9.30. Uh, North Carolina went for Trump. That was a battleground state, and she expected to win that. She was ahead in the polls. Uh, then another one went for uh, Trump. That uh, I forget which one it was. And I think it was Ohio which she expected to have and which is normally a blue state. Yes. But then when I saw about 1030 at night that Florida went, oh, well, I texted somebody, she is cooked. <laughs> you know, that if, if Florida goes, she was very tight in Florida. It was very tight. And, and so Florida went. And then I looked at the at midnight, I looked at the New York Times site and they gave Trump a 95% chance of winning. So I thought I'm going to bed. Yes. <laughs> And then the cat woke me up at 3 p.m., 3 a.m. And so I looked and saw that uh, Trump indeed had been elected the president. And not only had he taken those states, which I mentioned, but also Michigan, yeah. Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin. Those have been blue states for the past 30 years. Yes. And they were all battleground states. So he won all the battleground states. And, and so it, it was just like, a, well, you should have seen. I mean, the, the Democrats still can't believe it. <laughs> you know, they're still pinching themselves. They still can't believe it. And they just think that that life is going to just be horrible in this country. And and uh, so well, it's to quite amusing to see it. Oh, they want to go to Canada. And Canada <laughs> says, oh, come on, you know, 
And uh, so we're happy and, and California wants to secede from the union. And uh, I would like to contribute to that uh, cause if, you know, if they set up some sort of money thing, I will be happy to give, send money to the, to the, uh, to that cause. Yes. Uh, not nothing against our listeners in California, but I think they would agree <laughs> because if California went, it would probably take with it the other two leftist states, which are Oregon and Washington. And then a Democrat could never be elected again, the president of this country, never. <laughs> which you know, it would be worth it to, to just to have that never again. Well, I think before the <laughs> so, election, um, it was it was a little bit of uh, to my mind wishful thinking that, that Trump might have won. I mean, with all the uh, predictions by the left media uh, that it was going to be a landslide to Hillary, um, mm -hmm. we've now got a, a president-elect Donald Trump. Um, I should insert there in uh, in, in parenthesis that uh, I think many Australians are more interested in the US election than they were in their own election back in July. But... Um, <laughs> But uh, well, it does affect a lot of people around the world. Certainly, it does. Yes, yes. <laughs> I I was thinking when I saw um because it coincides with the middle of the day uh, here in Australia when the election was on. I think ten o'clock in the morning was when the first polls started to close, and and when I saw Florida fall, I thought that's it. it it's mm -hmm. uh it's it's turning around, and I thought it's it's all those state of Acantis votes in and around Brooksville, Florida, that turned the tide. <laughs> Our county was a landslide for Trump. I think it was in the sixty per, high sixties percent uh, for Trump. Yeah, that's I mean, fantastic. I mean, this this county is about is about as red as you can get. It's deep, <laughs> deep, dark red. So I was thinking, <laughs> so, my lord, you'd have to be disappointed if you didn't get an invitation to the post inauguration party, right? Surely. <laughs> well, I don't know if I'd want to go to that, but uh, no, well, no, it you. was uh, it was a great day, and it really, what was. Uh, more important to me was the ideas that were elected as he was just saying a lot of great ideas and you know whether he'll carry them through we don't know mm. but his it's the ideas that were elected that gives me some hope that that people see that what he was standing for was was something good and and it was also a complete rejection of establishment washington yeah a total politics. complete rejection and that was a wonderful thing too and it was rejection of the New World Order. Uh, he said in his speech in Michigan, uh, no interventionism. You know, we're not going to have wars to to be the, the police force of the whole world. And, you know, we're only going to have wars in which the interests of the United States are at stake. Yes. You know, so that was Bush one who put in that interventionism with his New World Order. You know, we're going to be the fire alarm for the world and yes. we'll bomb anyone that disagrees with us. That famous speech. Yes, yes. And that ever since it's been we have been a constant war, practically. I mean, nonstop war since Bush won, almost. Mm -hmm. I mean, a, a year or two when, when it was not. <clears throat> but we have been at war for, for almost 30 years. Mm. And and, you know, we have we're 20 trillion dollars in debt. Those, those wars are horribly expensive. Yeah, absolutely. And and so, uh, you know, it, it's so you know he was saying a lot of good things and, and people listened to him. Uh, I, I regret that he's backtracking on some of the things that he said, but that's sort of to be expected. You know they're politicians. So. Yes. <clears throat> yeah. Well, Australia. But I think... he's made a lot of good appointments, though. The military appointments are excellent. The defense, national security. Uh, he made he made some really good appointments there. He put in a, a marine general who's just known for. <laughs> 
just being a firebrand. Yes, I, <laughs> so, I saw an interview with him on uh, on the Russia Today. You know that uh, that channel that um, all, all the left thinks is a Russian propaganda machine. Yes, but we probably yes. should um, get on with the show. We could probably talk about this for yes, an hour and a half. Yes, we could do a whole show on this. And, yes, well, let's get on with the show. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, so we are continuing on with uh, the show, um, the text, The Defense of the Catholic Church by Francis X. Doyle, S.J. And uh, in this show, we'll be looking into the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Um, We'll cover lessons 26 through to 28, starting on page 117 of the text. And for the more astute among our listeners, you will notice that we've missed the chapter on objections against the miracles in, in the last show, lesson 25. Mostly because we've um, we we ran out of time. We were, it was going to be quite a long show, but um, the predominant reason for this is Bishop Sanborn weaved many objections against these events into the analysis of the text, so we didn't consider it necessary. But if you wish, you can explore this chapter in the book uh, in your own time. In the meantime, um, we'll we'll move on to lesson twenty six, twenty seven, twenty eight. So firstly, on to Lesson 26, entitled, In Proof of His Mission, Christ, as He Had Foretold, Rose from the Dead. Please take this away, this chapter away, my Lord, uh, starting with what we mean by the term resurrection. Yes, well, first, uh, by way of introduction, the proof of the resurrection and answer to critics is very important because everything hangs on the resurrection. <clears throat> when I say everything, I mean the whole Catholic faith hangs on it because... We are asking people to abandon their uh, religions and and to uh, embrace Catholicism, which involves the strictest morality that the earth has ever seen. Right? The, the, I mean, there's no other religion that has a stricter morality than the Catholic faith. And uh, it involves the carrying of the cross. It, it means that you cannot marry again if your marriage goes wrong. Uh, many, many other things that are difficult to bear, and that the path to salvation is the cross and mortification, and we have to give up things, and, and we cannot just do as we please. Right. So the, the, we have to prove that this is true, that this religion is true, because it, it is a difficult religion to, to follow. And so <clears throat> the, you, it is insufficient to in the context of what Christ said, that, that he is the true Savior, he's the Messiah, and that, that he overcomes death, uh, as he said at the raising of Lazarus, it's insufficient to show that he did miracles and even raised people from the dead, because those things were done in the Old Testament by holy men. Yes. So the, the central miracle is that of the resurrection, that he said that he, has, he is the author of life, he said that he is the one who will give life back to men, that he will conquer death, all of these things in, uh, throughout the gospel. And therefore, he has to prove that he truly is the author of life and that he does conquer death. And therefore, he has the power to conquer death for us, mm. that he has the power to raise us from the dead. If, if he rose from the dead, it answers everything. If he, if he didn't rise from the dead, then the Catholic religion has uh, nothing to stand on. Absolutely nothing. Because then you would say, well, he isn't the victor over death. He isn't what he said he was. See, so so it's, it's central. Even if he had not done any other miracle, the resurrection would prove everything. 
So it's very central, and that's why Easter Sunday is such an important day. One of the reasons why Easter Sunday is one of one of such a, an important day, the greatest day in the whole church's calendar. So we have to examine the resurrection and uh, see the credibility of it, the evidence for it, and then uh, answer some objections to it. <clears throat> so resurrection, this is page 117 in the book, means the reunion of a definite human soul with the very same body which it had vitalized before death. That's very important because uh, resurrection means that you ha you rise as the same person uh, with the same body. You are not somebody else. It's not like reincarnation where you where you become you know an animal or something like that. Yes. Uh, or you, that you become somebody else, you, you're transformed into somebody else, that you are reunited to your body. Uh, and, you know, this is interesting because Ratzinger denies that very thing. He, he says well, we're not talking about a resurrection of bodies, you know, that, that uh, he, he, he sort of spiritualizes the resurrection of the dead. He doesn't believe in the resurrection of the body. And, you know, he's regarded as Mr. Conservative, Mr. Orthodox. He's, you know, the, the savior of the church. And, and all of these uh, Novus Ordo conservatives who now hate Bergoglio are mm -hmm. thinking of him as the good old days. The man is a modernist heretic, uh, but you can't get that through to people when, you know, he wore the red shoes and the beautiful miters. Uh, they are on a, those people are on a completely materialistic level. You know, they, they don't see beyond the material things of the church. Uh, and uh, so it's a shame, but you know they, they have this mythology about Ratzinger that he was some sort of great protector of the faith. He was the one that said that you could use uh, condoms. Yes. That the, uh, the, you know, the, so you know I mean? I remember that. He, he yes, yeah. yes, he said it. And, and, you know, that he restricted it to the prostitutes. But I mean, if a prostitute can use it, well, why couldn't anybody else use it? And, and so he destroyed Catholic moral doctrine by saying that very thing. Yet no one paid any attention to that. No, no. one at all paid any attention to that. Uh, and But now they're all over Bergoglio for really uh, saying things that are much uh, less grave, I'll say, than, yeah. than what Ratzinger permitted. I think so, um, no, Francis uh, is, is just says it more often. So... Uh... Uh, yes, perhaps. yes, yeah. yes. And he's bolder and he's easier to understand. Yeah. Uh, Ratzinger was always careful to couch it in modernist gobbledygook. <laughs> so. so Benny the Rat, is, uh, as he's been referred to, Benedict the Sixteenth of uh, Ratzinger, <laughs> um, is, does yes, he... Yes, we always refer to them by their last name. <laughs> does uh, <laughs> Benny the Rat say that the resurrection is kind of uh, more of a natural naturalistic or, or, or sort of a, like a spiritual resurrection. Is that what he's, he's saying? Well, it, I mean, again, it's hard to pin him down, but he did say we're not talking about a resurrection of bodies. He was right. very clear about that, and that is a heresy right. because it's defined that by uh, the, the uh, Athanasian Creed, defined that we will uh, be reunited with our bodies. So that is a doctrine of the faith. He mean, it means he's a public heretic. Mm. But because of those red shoes and the beautiful mitres, you know, he's he's the man of the day, uh, unfortunately. So, um, so they, the I just wanted to remark that that this this is the definition of resurrection. 
He also denies the resurrection of Christ in as much as he says that the apostles had a resurrection experience. He, he reduces everything to some sort of internal experience. Mm. Uh, it's, uh, you know, he, now, if you said, do you deny the resurrection of Christ, he would say no. But he does not believe that the body that Christ had before he died was reunited to his soul on Easter Sunday. See, he doesn't believe that. Yeah. Which is, which is heretical that he doesn't believe. Um, so he has his own little way of explaining the resurrection, which is contrary to the church's teaching. Well, we're here to prove him wrong, my Lord. Yes, that's right. Yes. Uh, going to 124, uh, we see that Christ foretold his resurrection. <clears throat> In Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, we read, From that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the ancients and scribes and chief priests and be put to death and on the third day rise again. Then this very prediction is mentioned in other parts of sacred scripture as well. The, the prediction that, that he would be put to death in Jerusalem uh, and, and with very specific details as well. Yes. Uh, so that it can't be you know, ascribed simply to a, a good guess, uh, very specific details. There's a number of references, my Lord. There's a number of references for our listeners. Matthew 17, verse 9, Matthew 20, verse 19, and uh, 27, verses 63, 64, all very much uh, pointing to that uh, foretelling of his resurrection. Yes. The next point that the author mentions is that Christ died because there were some that would say, well, he didn't really die. That's why he was able to rise again. So, in fact, he died. And we read in Matthew chapter 27, verse 50, And Jesus, again, crying with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And uh, there is other evidence of his having died in Mark chapter 15, verse 37, Luke chapter 23, verse 46, John chapter 19, verse 30, Acts of the Apostles chapter 2, verse 23, and Acts of the Apostles 13, 28 to 30. So there is strong attestation of his having died. And, and I noticed, my Lord, that uh, all of the evangelists' uh, texts refer to, use the same term, gave up the ghost, yielded up the ghost. That's um, yes. very specific, meaning that his soul has departed from his body, I'm, I'm presuming there. Yes, yes. It's uh, the, def the very definition of death itself. Hmm. Uh, to separation of soul and body. And the testimony of his death was given by the soldiers who did not break his legs because they saw that he was already dead. And also by the centurion who was sent to investigate the death of Jesus and satisfied both himself and Pilate of that fact. And then... By it, it is uh, affirmed by the action of the soldier who thrust a lance through his side, just mm. to be sure. And uh, there came out blood and water. So uh, no one you know, could have ever survived a thrust right into the side and into the heart. Yes. So uh, it is a certitude that, that Christ actually died. And he says... Uh, the author says, if Christ did not die, we must suppose the following absurdities. One, that he was a deceiver, 
And we've already shown in, in previous shows that it's impossible to say our Lord was a deceiver. Uh, he, he himself was, you know, was a person of very, very high virtue. Uh, he did not enjoy in any way the things of this world. He had nothing to gain by preaching his gospel. Uh, also, he was a person of, uh, even from the natural point of view, of a very high wisdom and intelligence. Uh, his what he says is always something that that is loaded with very exalted meaning. Uh, and no one had ever heard his doctrine before, as it is said in, in uh, I believe, Saint John's Gospel. Uh, that that this was uh, so he was neither a deceiver nor was he deceived. So mm. we've already put that to to sleep. All right. Uh, B that a dying man, after removing a heavy stone from the tomb into which he had been placed, and on the third day after he had been buried alive, and after enduring the most horrible suffering, both before he was crucified and while he was on the cross, and with his side pierced by a soldier's lance, was suddenly able to walk to Emmaus, <laughs> a distance of about four miles from Jerusalem, returned to Jerusalem the same day, and during the space of 40 days to go frequently from Jerusalem to distant Galilee and back again to the Holy City. <laughs> so, you know, you know, that's an absurdity. Absolutely. You know, this, this person who was weakened unto death, let's say, uh, but didn't actually die, that he could uh, get up and do all of those things without any problem at all. You know, it's, it's an absurdity. Yes. Uh, and see that this physically worn-out deceiver inspired the doubting apostles with an unconquerable faith. The, the apostles didn't believe that he rose from the dead. <laughs> you know, they wouldn't believe the witnesses. And so, the, you know, if he came back in this worn-out state, how, how did he manage to convince the apostles to believe in him to the extent that they would shed their lives for him? Right. If, if the previous was that true. That doesn't make any sense either. Yeah, if the previous was true, then um, they would just say, oh, well, he didn't die. Uh, it wouldn't be that mm -hmm. uh, big a deal. <laughs> yes, you know, it, the whole thing would have fizzled out. Yes. Then D, the fourth absurdity, is that after being venerated by angels of God, he entered rooms in a miraculous manner and finally was seen to ascend into the clouds of heaven. <laughs> you know, none of that... <laughs> It, it, it could you would have to deny the entire gospel and the and the the authenticity and the credibility of the entire gospel if you were to assert those things but to deny the authenticity and the credibility of the entire gospel is itself absurd as we have seen in previous shows yes so um um so and the 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 authenticity and credibility of the gospel is attested to even by the enemies of the church in the third century who say these very things that 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 you know he had 12 apostles and he died on the cross and that he rose from the dead and etc etc mm. they they attest to the fact that this is the uh the you know that these are are facts that are commonly accepted concerning christ even by non-christians even by enemies of the church, mm. you know, the they assign his miracles to you know some sort of magic and, and other things, but the fact that he performed miracles uh, is was not disputed. Mm. 
Um, so on to uh, lesson so, 126. Sorry, question 126. Mm-hmm. Christ rose from the dead. So we have in proof of this testimony, uh, proof of this, the testimony of eyewitnesses or those who had their information directly from eyewitnesses. So how do we know that he rose from the dead? Either from eyewitnesses or those who had information directly from eyewitnesses. So Matthew and John gave their testimony in writing. Yeah. Peter and John gave testimony by word of mouth, see, when they preached in Jerusalem. Luke narrates what he heard from Paul and others who had seen the risen Christ. Don't forget St. Paul saw him on the way to Damascus. Mark, in his narration, tells what he heard from Peter, and this Peter himself approved. Yes. St. Mark was not an apostle, but he was an assistant to St. Peter and traveled with St. Peter. So his, his gospel is, in a sense, Peter's gospel. Yes. Um, Paul was an eyewitness of the risen Christ, as he himself narrates. So these are people who uh, actually saw the risen Christ. These Number 127, these witnesses were sincere. They left all things for Christ. It was extremely difficult to convince them that Christ had risen uh, in giving their testimony of the resurrection. The, the women came and said, you know, the tomb is empty, and the angels say that he's risen from the dead, he's not here. Mm. Uh, and they wouldn't believe it. Mm. We know that, be, uh, that Christ himself uh, corrected them and scolded them for their incredulity with regard to the reports of the resurrection. Hmm. Uh, that they did not believe it, even though he had foretold it, many times foretold it. They wouldn't believe it. So it wasn't like a group of people who were making up stories and figuring, well, you know, we'll, we'll, uh, we'll have a great yarn and, and we'll found this new religion based on this this. Uh, fable that he rose from the dead. Not at all. They, they were afraid of the Jews. They just wanted to uh, you know, lead their lives again, uh, you know, uh, without having to worry about preaching the gospel to the whole world. They just wanted to retire from the, the three years of instruction that they had received from the apostles. So the, uh, for, excuse me, from our Lord, is they had, there was no idea of going out and and uh, preaching the gospel to the whole world. I mean, far from it. Hmm. <laughs> That's right. They, uh, uh, so, um, there was no uh, motive for deceiving, it says in here. No, uh, there was no money. There was no fame and fortune. What did they achieve by saying that he rose from the dead? What, how did it help them? They all died horrible deaths. Yes. Even St. John was lowered into a pot of boiling oil. Uh, they, they, uh, there was nothing in it for them. They, no. led, they left their wives and their families. There was nothing in it for them. I've heard they the benefits are out of hardship. this world, my lord. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, but, uh, you know, from point of view of, of worldly benefit from deceiving people, there was none. Yes, yes. So, uh, uh, and they could not have been deceived, that is, they, they could not have been mistaken about this, 
because on Pentecost, not two months after Christ had been crucified and buried, they publicly preached the truth of the resurrection to the very people of Jerusalem. Mm. Now, if that had been commonly known to have been untrue, they, they could not possibly get away with, with having said that and could not possi uh, uh, possibly converted 5,000 people in one day mm. if that had been notably false. Not to mention the miracle of speaking uh, in tongues. Yes. Uh, it says their statements could easily have been investigated and proved false by the enemies of Christ, and there were many, who understood perfectly what would be the result of the apostles' preaching. Mm -hmm. So they had they were preaching in a hostile audience, and and uh, they, it could have been easily uh, debunked if it were not true. Yes. Um, so, uh, number one twenty-eight. Yeah. These witnesses could investigate the resurrection. For Jesus is described as appearing not only to women, but to men. Not to one or two persons, but to many. Not once, but frequently. Not on one day, but for forty days. Not at the same hour, but at different hours. Not always in the same place and under the same circumstances, but in different places and under different circumstances. Mm. Not at a distance, but close at hand. He is not only seen, but he speaks, eats, shows his wounds inviting and permitting the credulous to touch and feel them, affirming emphatically and proving that he is the Christ, the very same who was crucified. So it's not as if he merely appeared once, and you know, those who happen to be there are the, the only witnesses of his resurrection. He appeared many times under many different circumstances to many different people, mm. so that they could all compare notes and, and affirm that they had seen Christ living after his crucifixion. Uh, number 129, these witnesses actually <clears throat> did investigate the resurrection. First of all, the witnesses were stubbornly skeptical, uh, and only after many proofs were they forced to admit that Christ had truly risen from the dead. Hmm. So as I said, they didn't believe it. They were all huddled together in fear of the Jews after the, the crucifixion. So, the, uh, and he points out certain facts and proof of this. First, the women went to the sepulcher in order to anoint the body of Jesus. They didn't go on Sunday morning in order to see an open grave. No. They went there to, to anoint the body of Jesus and actually wondered who would roll back the stone for them. Mm. Uh, St. Mary Magdalene was so overcome by grief when the sep sepulcher was found empty that she did not at once recognize the master whom she loved so much. She thought, after she had told Peter that our Lord was not there, she said, you know, he's, he's not there. Mm. She thought that the body was stolen. She runs back to the sepulcher and is in tears. Her head is buried in tears, and our Lord uh, comes up to her, and, and uh, she thinks that he's the gardener, like the caretaker. And <laughs> probably doesn't get a good look at him because she's overwhelmed with tears and probably doesn't look at him too much. Right. Because she would have recognized him right away. And, and so she thinks uh, he's the gardener, and she says something which is slightly amusing. She says, tell me where you have put his body, and I will take it 
and and carry it away hmm. you know as if she could lift a body that might weigh at least 150 pounds <laughs> pick up this body and, and bring it to peter or whatever she intended to do with it you know that hmm. that it, it but it, it's a it's a tender thing that you know that you know, she didn't think at all of the practicality of doing that. She it, just said, "You tell me where where you put him, and I, I will take him away." Yeah, it and, speaks and to it, her grief slightly too. Slightly amusing. Uh, you know, she would have to be a, a tremendous weightlifter, to, <laughs> and also to carry him back to Peter or whatever she intended to do hmm. with the body. What would she do with the body? <laughs> That's right. So, uh, <clears throat> but you know, she she pays no attention to that. It's just, "You tell me where he is, I'll take care of it." You know, hmm. So. Uh, so it's, uh, uh, but you know, she was not convinced by the empty tomb. Yeah. And, and even what the angels said, he is risen. He is not here. Yeah. I mean, that all just went over their heads yeah. <laughs> just as if he had not said it. Uh, so, uh, <clears throat> so there's that. Uh, so she is in grief thinking that, that the body is stolen. So she's, she's a skeptic too. Hmm. And Cleophas, uh, an, an unnamed disciple, did not believe the testimony of the women. Now, these are the two disciples of Emmaus. Right. Now, Emmaus is four miles from Jerusalem. And uh, that afternoon of the, of the resurrection, our Lord, uh, they, they were talking to each other on the road to, to Emmaus, and our Lord catches up with them or, or appears to them. And... Uh, our Lord exposed to them the Old Testament scriptures concerning the resurrection. And they were absolutely enthralled with him, but they didn't know who he was. Until finally they came to an inn and they said, you know, would you eat with us? Uh, you know, uh, and they, they wanted him to stay. It did not, they did not want him to depart from them. Uh, and, it would, you know, would you eat with us? So we went into what is essentially a restaurant Hmm. And there uh, at table, uh, he performed the Holy Eucharist. Right. And it says their eyes were open. They knew immediately what that meant. And they recognized him. And then he disappeared from them. Right. So, uh, you know, it's, uh, it, that was the best possible way that he could prove himself. See, if he said, I'm Christ, by the way. Yeah. Say, well, <laughs> well, you know, it, it would not have had the same... Uh, you know, it could have been anybody that, that you know, and posing as Christ. Mm -hmm. uh, but he gave them a sign that was unmistakable as being Christ. Yeah. See, it's very wise. He has, of course, divine wisdom. That unmistakable, it would be like giving, a, a, you know, this, a, such a, a personal sign of who you are that no one that ever knew you could mistake it. Mm. Uh, it's better than your signature. It's it's the, the 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 holy Eucharist was was just that was it. You know? Yes. And, and of course it's Christ. There could be no one else but Christ that would do that. Uh, and only a few people knew that he did it. Uh, the the apostles and those whom the apostles may have told that he did it. So, and that was only a few days before that he instituted it. Yeah. That was Thursday night that he instituted it. This is Sunday night. So, uh, so they'd all given up hope uh, that the that our Lord was the Messiah with his death. That that all sort of that was the basis of their skepticism. They're all 
uh, deflated at, the, at his death. Yes, yes. So, I mean, they're... Uh, yes, they just want to go back to their normal lives and figure, well, it was an interesting three years, but now we have to get on with life. Yes. And so, uh, yes, uh, they were very much deflated by his death. Uh, and then the apostles did not believe the women, and our Lord rebuked them for that. Mm. And when Christ appeared to them, they thought he was a, a spirit, a ghost. See, so they still didn't believe. <laughs> <laughs> so, and when uh, Thomas and the others persisted in rejecting all testimony and remained in stubborn doubt. So we know that that's the, the famous gospel of the doubting Thomas. Uh, and uh, so our Lord came back specifically for him and he, he put his hands in his side and, and in, his, uh, in his hands, his fingers in, his, in our Lord's hands. And therefore he's touching something palpable and material. Hmm. That's very important. Um, and uh, you might say, how did our Lord pass through walls he did so because of his divinity, that he has power over matter in such a way that, that he can do that. Yes. Uh, it is not in virtue of his resurrected body, his glorified body. It is in, in virtue of his divinity that he can do that. He's the master of all the physical laws. Right. Um, so the, uh, the women and Peter and John examined the empty sepulcher. That's where we find out in St. John that the linens were folded. He mentions that detail, that the linens were folded. That means that there were no grave thieves. Because if you're taking a body away, you don't stop to fold the linens. <laughs> Hardly. <laughs> you know, it, no, it, it's a sign. For example, an inside job when somebody steals something, a sign of an inside job is that there's no violence. Hmm. See, if somebody comes and robs your house and you come and find that your house has been robbed, it's going to be a complete mess. Hmm. The drawers will all be pulled out, everything dumped, everything searched, you know, just a chaotic mess because they just want to go in, find it and get out. Yes. Thieves and dishonest people are not going to fold the linens <laughs> they're going to throw them someplace and 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 just take the body and run See, so the fact that the linens were folded uh either our lord himself folded them which is quite possible or the angels did but i would yeah. say it's even probable that our lord folded the the sacred linen which is now in turin hmm. and uh so uh that's an interesting detail um uh, Jesus was forced to prove that he had risen from the dead. So and that's ex precisely what he did. He didn't force people to just take it on faith. Hmm. And the witnesses clearly distinguish between their mental states and the objective appearances of Christ. So the, you know, that they, uh, you know, that they were skeptical, but yet they saw Christ. You see that? Yeah. So, Number 130, the final judgment of the witnesses is the only one that squares with the narrated facts. A, it is beyond any cavil 
that some material being appeared to the witnesses. Four, one, the witnesses were not disposed to visions, especially at that time when they were very much afraid after the crucifixion and felt that the death of Christ had robbed them of any hope that he was the Messiah. Hmm. Even when Christ appeared to them, they persisted in doubting. Now, a lot of theologians say no to this, uh, that, uh, that they had lost faith in Christ. They, uh, I think it's even condemned someplace. I think it's condemned... Uh, someplace it's condemned. Uh, hmm. Some have said that only the Blessed Virgin Mary persevered in believing in Christ during that time. That's false to say that. I think St. Pius X condemned it. Right. Uh, so that's something, you know, that, that uh, probably does not pass here. Uh, they were certainly discouraged. They were certainly of weak faith. All of that is true. But to say that they uh, didn't believe that he was the Messiah, uh, I, I would say that you cannot hold that. Hmm. Uh, so two, the witnesses clearly distinguish between their internal experiences and the external happenings. All right. Three, the witnesses were many, and although placed in different circumstances of time, place, etc., they knew and really demanded that their judgment should rest on the report of the senses of sight, hearing, and touch. So these were not experiences, as Ratzinger would call them. But that, in fact, they, they were, there was matter to be touched here. Yes. And this is what uh, makes our faith so coherent, is that uh, everything's kind of stacked against them. They, they, were, they were just completely deflated that he died because that was, you know, to them, to their natural senses was, uh, you know, all of the things that they were looking forward to as him as the Messiah were all sort of you know, felt like they were taken away. And they remained sceptical for those natural reasons. And so we see reinforcement of our faith and, and the truth of the resurrection through through their skepticism. So it's um, it just makes it so coherent. Yes, if you recall, they thought that he was going to become another Solomon hmm. and that they were all going to be members of his cabinet, so to speak. <laughs> In other words, uh, that, that he was going to overthrow the, uh, you know, the high priests and the Sanhedrin. He was going to overthrow the Romans. He was going to make a kingdom of Israel just like Solomon and greater than Solomon. This was on their minds, and they were saying this to him, you know, as they were going from Jericho to Jerusalem when he was going to be crucified. That's mm. when the mother of James and John went to our Lord and said, please, you know, I'm asking for a place for my sons in your kingdom. Mm. And our Lord, well, uh, he had the patience of God. Because <laughs> she... She went down in front of him, prostrated herself in front of him, face down, to ask this. So, you know, here's a mother asking for two young sons. Uh, and, and, you know, she, very typical of mothers, wants a, a good job and place for, for, you know, in this kingdom that's coming and, and which is about to be done. And, mm. and so, because our Lord had said so many times, this is not a worldly kingdom. You know, in so many words, he said it. Yes. This is not a worldly kingdom. I am not here to do this. This is a, a spiritual kingdom, and and you're going to have to suffer and die just like I have. I will suffer and die. He, he said that many times, and that's what's recorded. I mean, he probably said it many more times than what is recorded. Hmm. And so she comes in this last, hmm. <laughs> this this last uh, trek toward Jerusalem, 
uh, and you know, ask for this. I mean, you know, if if our Lord had been purely human, I think he would have been a little exasperated. Yeah. And but you know, he had the the patience of God, and so he said to her, "Well, the, essentially, I'm paraphrasing. They can have a place if they're able to drink the chalice that I will drink, hmm. and and that means his death. They have to be ready to die and to die even." In order to have a place in my kingdom, so uh, so you know, th th but this is the mentality that you know we're going to have a great success in Jerusalem, and then it all goes bad. I mean, it the, the it just it turns all the wrong way, you know, by Friday, and he's crucified and dies and is buried. You see, so this is the shock that is in them after three years of hearing these things, seeing him raise people from the dead, seeing him cure people hearing about the kingdom of God, it all just comes back and, and they're, they're loaded with, with discouragement hmm. and bewilderment. They don't know what to think about it. Yes. You know, how do you reconcile all of that, the, that, what they saw every single day with the fact that he's dead and buried? How do you reconcile that? So oh. that, that's their mentality, you might say. So the witnesses were not disposed to visions. We said that. Uh, and number three, the witnesses were many, although placed in different circumstances of time, place, etc. They knew and really demanded that their judgment should rest upon the report of the senses of sight, hearing, and touch. We said that. Yes. Number four, the apparitions of Christ ceased suddenly, but the witnesses held to their unconquerable faith that he had risen from the dead. So that means that the the... Uh, witnesses had seen him and were attesting concerning him, uh, even though he was not anymore uh, appearing to them. So it, the, it was not something ongoing. He uh, rose from the dead, stayed 40 days, mm. ascended into heaven. Um, B, that material being which appeared to the witnesses was Jesus of Nazareth, truly risen from the dead. That being... Uh, was either the materialized soul of Christ or some material apparition physically evoked or the devil in human form or the risen Jesus himself. <clears throat> so the author gives four possibilities and now he's going to strike off the first mm. three. It was not the materialized soul of Christ. If it were, then Christ lied. But we have already seen that it is impossible that Christ be a liar because he's not a deceiver. We saw that in previous chapters. Uh, it, it was not a, also it's impossible to materialize a soul because the soul is by nature spiritual, just as it's impossible to spiritualize a body because a body is by nature extended. That is something you can touch. Uh, it was not a material apparition physically evoked for it mm. was not evoked, but appeared suddenly and unexpectedly and voluntarily. So it was not as if the apostles had a seance and, and brought about the, the, you know, an appearance of Christ or something like that. Uh, when it first appeared, it was not immediately recognized, and to prove that it was not a spirit, a ghost, it ate food. So our Lord, uh, when uh, our Lord uh, appeared to them on the shore of the lake of Genezareth uh, and called out to them, uh, that's when St. John said, it's the Lord. They, they didn't know who it was or what it was. And St. John, who knew our Lord the best, said, it's the Lord. And uh, so they went to shore and they uh, fried up a few fish and he mm -hmm. ate the fish. 
so uh, that proves that, that he was truly in his own body and was a, a physical being. Uh, and it was not the devil clothed in human form, for if it were, then the devil is approving his own enemy by preternatural means, and this with the permission of God, and in a vital religious doctrine of the utmost importance, and without any sign that the devil is acting. This is impossible. It's impossible because it doesn't serve the devil to do that, and it is far more impossible, if we could use that term, because... God cannot deceive the human race in that way because of his goodness. Hmm. Therefore, the being was the risen Christ. So that's the end of hmm. chapter 26. Yeah, so this um, chapter has talked about uh, that Christ foretold his resurrection, He that he actually died. We've seen the evidence that he died and um, that he then rose again from the dead Um through the testimony of witnesses and these witnesses were initially very skeptical and he had to prove that he had risen from the dead and there we've seen that there was some um, some material being did appear and then the author has shown us that it was actually the risen christ so i'd just like to remind our listeners that you're listening to apologetic show number eight on member supported restoration radio i'm your host phil stone and i'm joined by his lordship bishop donald sanborn rector of most holy trinity seminary in brooksville florida and today we've been discussing, as I just said, our Lord's resurrection from the dead. Now we move on to chapter 27, and this is Christ rose from the dead to prove his mission. So it seems to be similar to the other one with a slight twist in that the previous one was showing those evidences that I outlined, whereas this chapter is showing how his resurrection proved his mission. Is that the way you see it, my Lord? Yes, and that he intended it that way. You see, he, our blessed Lord yes. was very conscious of the necessity to give what we call signs of credibility, that, that mm. you you were not required to just make a blind leap toward him, but he wanted to show that he was truly the Messiah, truly God, and that belief in him was something very reasonable. Don't forget that if we fail to believe in him, we go to hell. See, so mm. you know, those who do not believe shall be condemned. So he understands that he cannot hold people to that, to that obligation to believe unless he gives them the motives of belief. And he has to give a, some very strong motives because the belief is, is very difficult that, that uh, he rose from the dead after having been uh, uh, crucified on the cross, that he, is the, he has the ability to... to uh, uh, raise other people from the dead, that he placed himself in the Holy Eucharist under the, uh, the species of bread and wine. You know, there's a lot of doctrines, the Holy Trinity, the Incarnation itself. There are many doctrines that are very elevated and difficult for the human mind. And so he has to give very strong proof. And that, that's, that's the point of this chapter, is that he intended right. this as the principal proof of his divinity and and his messianic character so number 131 christ expressly says that he can lay aside his life and take it up again and that he has received from his father the command to lay down his life in order to, that he might take it up again and he said also and the book does not mention this but he also said excuse me that no one takes his life from him, but he gives it up himself. And that's a very important yes. point that 
uh, he could have endured all of the passion and still lived. He could have done that by his divine power. No one took his life from him. He gave it up when he wanted to give it up. And that's why he yeah. cried out with a loud voice, showing his strength at that point. Uh, you know, people, when they're dying, especially after having been scourged and, and all of the other things that happened to him, uh, with virtually no blood in his body, uh, the, uh, you know, they, they don't ordinarily, uh, they're, they're of weak voice and they can hardly speak. So he cried mm -hmm. out with a loud voice. And, and uh, that shows the strength that was still in him by his divine nature. So he gave it up himself when he wanted to. And uh, he's, uh, the author says he suffered death because he made himself the son of God. That's why they put him to death. Uh, that's what hmm. the Jews said to Pilate. We have a law and he made himself equal to God and he must die. And Therefore, the resurrection itself shows that Christ was the Son of God who laid down his life as his Father commanded and resumed it again. So the, he is accused of it. He says, it's true, I am the Son of God. He dies for it and he rises again. So that, that uh, should make any reasonable Just, person believe. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 38 to 41, we read, Then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. Like, show us a miracle. <laughs> Who answering said to them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh a sign, and a sign shall not be given it but the sign of Jonas the prophet. For as Jonas was in the whale's belly three days and three nights, so shall the Son of Man be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. The men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, because they did penance at the preaching of Jonas, and behold, a greater than Jonas is here. Yes. Uh, so the, uh, he's, you see, the, God will never perform a miracle to those who will not believe, in front of those who will not believe. Mm. If you have a hardened heart, he, you're not going to get a miracle. And that's essentially what he's telling them. The only miracle that you people are going to see, which everyone will see, is the miracle of my resurrection. Mm. See, but I'm not going to do some wonder in front of you because you're not going to believe it anyway. <laughs> and that would just be a waste of time and my power. See, that's why he said nothing to Herod when he was sent by Pilate to Herod. Uh, Herod, uh, and I may have mentioned that in another show, Yep. Herod wanted him to show wonders and signs, and he wouldn't even answer Herod. He just kept his mouth shut. Yeah, and uh, that was that scene was very well done in the Gibson movie. I thought very well done. Yes, uh, the the character of Herod and so forth, and uh, our Lord's silence in front of him. Uh, so uh, miracles are meant for those who will believe and who would believe. See, so. Uh, our, our Lord knows the interior of our souls, and, and he, he knows what's, whether we're well disposed to belief or not by his grace, uh, or whether we have rejected his grace. He doesn't waste his time with people who are just curious, <clears throat> except with the resurrection. In other words, the resurrection, he says, will be for everybody. That's the point of this. Mm. Uh, but he gives them a very strong rebuke by saying the men of Nineveh, that was the city in Babylonia that did penance 
uh, when they were when penance was preached to them by Jonas. He says, the men of Nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. So the, the Jews, for their incredulity, will be condemned because they did penance at the preaching of Jonas. Mm. See, they will be in a position to judge the Jews because they did penance when Jonas came. And I am greater than Jonas. That's the, the sense of the final statement. Yes. <clears throat> so in this passage, we note that, A, the sign of Jonas was not the preaching of penance, nor the reproof of an adulterous generation. Jesus promised a future sign by which the scribes and Pharisees could be converted and accept the truth. An absolutely unmistakable sign of his divinity. <clears throat> B, the sign of Jonas was the sign which corresponded to Jonas being in the whale's belly three days and three nights. This sign is the death and resurrection of Christ. For as Jonas after three days came forth alive from the whale's belly, so Christ after three days would cease, would, would come forth alive from the heart of the earth. So that's precisely why Jonas had that experience in order that it prefigure the resurrection of Christ. Mm. Uh, there's that coherence again. Everything just fits. Yes, yes. In John chapter 2, verses 18 to 22, we read, The Jews therefore answered and said to him, What sign dost thou show unto us, seeing thou dost these things? Jesus answered and said to them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. You see? Mm. And St. John says he was referring to the temple of his body. Now, notice how he said that, Destroy this temple. In other words, if you destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up. Mm. They took it materially as referring to the second uh, temple, uh, no, it was the third temple uh, of Herod the Great. And they accused him later of saying, I will destroy the temple. But he didn't mm. say that. He said, if you destroy this temple. Yes. Uh, and the Jews said to him, six and 40 years was this temple and building and wilt thou raise it up in three days? But, and St. John says, he spoke of the temple of his body. When therefore he was risen again from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had said. Mm. All right? So he's, he's saying these things before his death and resurrection in order to signal that his death and resurrection will be the big proof so that's the point of this chapter. Yeah. Now here we should notice that the temple to be destroyed to which Jesus referred was not the temple of Jerusalem. If it were, he himself would have offered an altogether futile sign. I mean, what's the purpose of tearing down the temple and building it up? Yeah. I mean, it makes no sense. Nor was it the Jewish religion. It did not represent the Jewish religion. I mean, he, was, he did not intend it. He didn't mean it as the Jewish religion. For Jesus had no wish to restore the Jewish religion. Mm. <clears throat> he was fulfilling it. That's right. Nor was the temple to be restored the Christian religion, for it would be absurd to call this religion the temple of the Jews. <laughs> so the only thing that he could possibly be referring to was the temple of his body. Yes. Uh, and the author puts in a uh, uh, very good summary of the order of the apparitions. When you read the four Gospels, it it's hard to get one picture of what happened uh, as, as everything unfolded because each author talks about it in a different way. 
And so he, he organizes it for us. He's uh, the apparitions of the holy women first. One, Mary Magdalene, accompanied by the other women, arrived at the tomb. So that's the first thing that happened. When Mary Magdalene saw that the stone was removed, she went back for Peter and John. So she leaves the two women and goes for Peter and John. The other women, having remained, entered the tomb and beheld the angels. So they're sitting in the empty tomb. Mm. <clears throat> Four, the women returned to the apostles and narrated what had occurred, speaking to no one on the way. So the two women go to where the apostles are. <clears throat> They tell them what happened, and the apostles did not believe the story. Mm. But in the meantime, Peter and John had gone after St. Mary Magdalene had told them. They ran to the, to the uh, sepulcher. When, when Peter and John heard from Magdalene that the stone was removed, they hurried to the sepulcher and found it empty. Right? Six, St. Mary Magdalene returned, saw the angels and Jesus, and announced the resurrection to the disciples who did not believe her. So she goes back after meeting our Lord in, in, in the garden, thinking he was the gardener, and unmistakably recognizing him uh, uh, when he called out to her. He said, Maria, and she looked at him and said, Rabboni, which means master, and fell to his feet. And that's where he said, don't touch me. See? So she recognized him right away. Mm from his voice and and uh, so there was and looking at him and and so so she goes back and tells the apostles so this is the second time that the apostles hear it and they still didn't believe it finally the other women hurried back to the sepulcher and saw Jesus so they go back from the apostles mm. to the sepulcher and they saw Jesus now the apparitions to the men Jesus appeared to Peter. He also appeared to Cleophas and the other disciples on the road to Emmaus. And they announced the resurrection to the mm. disciples, but were not believed. <laughs> While Thomas was absent, Jesus mm. appeared to the disciples. But when they told Thomas, he would not believe. So he, he wouldn't even believe the apostles. Then Jesus appeared to Thomas and the other apostles. That's on Low Sunday. Jesus appeared to seven disciples on the shore of, lake, of the Lake of Galilee, as we spoke about. Jesus appeared to the disciples on the mountain as he had announced to them. It's in St. Matthew. Jesus appeared to more than 500 gathered together. That's in St. Paul. Jesus appeared to James. Jesus appeared to the disciples in Jerusalem. And while the disciples were gathered together on Mount Olivet, Jesus in their presence ascended into heaven. And then afterwards, our Lord appeared to St. Paul on the way to Damascus. So those are the, that's the order of the events in the apparitions of our Lord. It's important, uh, yes. I mean, the Gospels are historical, and so uh, yes. it's important to to see the history in them and, and to figure out what exactly happened. Uh, the fact that it was not all narrated in exactly the same way actually attests to the truth of it because you can tell that they were not copying from each other. There was not some sort of conspiracy to, to say it all exactly the same yes. way. It, it was narrated differently. That shows that you know, mm. you know, the persons that wrote it down were uh, going from their memory 
and and or the memory of those that had seen it, like uh, Saint Peter or Saint Mark, etc. And um, and that that attests to the to the truth of it. Uh, if you had seen, mm -hmm. you know, word for word the same thing in the four Gospels, that would attest to something rotten. <laughs> that you know, these people were deceivers, and and they were trying to put something over on people. And, uh, so. Yes, but it certainly doesn't point to a contradiction. No, no, it doesn't at all. No, uh, and as, that, yeah. that's in this chapter coming up. So. Uh, that's a good segue into into the next chapter. Objections against the resurrection answered. Mm -hmm. So, number 136, it has been urged that the crucifixion of Christ does not necessarily prove his death. And in support of this claim, the argument is advanced that as a matter of historical fact, in a certain instance given by Josephus, one of the three crucified men was taken down from the cross alive. But we do not prove the death of Christ from the mere fact that he was crucified. We have definite evidence of, uh, from eyewitnesses, both friends and enemies alike, that Christ died on the cross. And certainly the conclusion that because a man did not die on the cross, therefore neither did Christ, is far from logical. See, the, the normal <laughs> way of crucifixion was sometimes they would nail you. Sometimes they did. But other times they would tie you up as is normally seen they would tie you to the cross mm. and let you die of exposure and lack of water and food and you could be on the that cross for days a week or two mm. and then the romans would leave your body to rot on the cross that was the normal way of doing crucifixions and but sometimes they would nail you mm. there's there's plenty of evidence of that too so you know what is generally seen in, in religious art is that the other two were tied and our Lord was nailed. And, uh, uh, but, uh, I mean, it was a fatal thing. That's why they broke the legs in order to, uh, to advance the, the death from being crucified, uh, because you couldn't hold yourself up mm. then and you were just hanging loosely, uh, and apparently could not breathe uh, because uh, you could not push up. Uh, and that was why they broke their legs. So, uh, so, but you know, to say, well, somebody was taken down before he died, doesn't mean that Christ didn't die. That's crazy. Right? So the argument has no weight. Yeah. Uh, we may as well say that because one of the three men was taken down from the cross alive, so were the other two. <laughs> you know, the, it just, uh, <laughs> or that somebody survived an execution, well, then everyone survives an execution. I mean, it, it just, it's, Crazy. It's absurd. So Pilate... I've got a uh, feeling we're going to hear that word absurd fairly often in this chapter, my lord. Uh, yeah, I think that'll be my favorite uh, favorite adjective. Uh, <laughs> Pilate, as we read in Mark chapter 15, verse 44, was surprised that Christ had died so soon. <clears throat> but from this mm. fact, some have argued that Christ did not die, which is crazy. I mean, he's hearing from, you know, not not the apostles <laughs> the apostles didn't run off to the to the palace of Pilate to tell them that he died they they mm. took off they're not even there they're hiding who is he hearing from he's hearing from his own soldiers that yes. he died so you know this <laughs> why would anyone say that he didn't die if the soldiers come to him and say he's already dead 
I mean, this is, you know, insanity. That's another word you, you will hear a lot here. But Pilate sent the centurion to investigate and on hearing the officer's report, accepted the fact of Christ's death. Mm. Centurions are believable people. They're, they're, they're officers. They're uh, people of note. And, yes. and you know, Roman army. And, you know, it, and with no interest in Christianity. For them, it was just one more crucifixion. That's all, you know, it's just all in a day's work. Hmm. But the corruption, uh, some say that since according to medical testimony, the only certain sign of death is the corruption of the body. And since Christ's body did not corrupt, we have no certain sign of his death. Well, first <laughs> of all, <laughs> the answer, but the corruption of the body is not the only sign of death in the case of men who have been executed, nor is the case of one who has been at least mortally wounded by the thrust of a soldier's lance. So if you cut off somebody's head, you're not going to see corruption for a while because the body right. is still in pretty good shape. See? Yep. Uh, so why argue from the fact that Christ's body had not corrupted? Where is this stated? Where where in sacred scripture is it stated that his uh, body did not corrupt? It's in Acts chapter 2, verse 31, and chapter 13, verse 35. So the objector accepts the testimony as true from the gospel and from the Acts of the Apostles. He accepts that as true, but he rejects the testimony of saying in the same place that Christ died. So he contradicts himself. I mean, if you, if you don't believe the testimony of the Gospels that Christ died, how would you believe the testimony of the Gospels that his body did not corrupt? How? Hmm. It's his body. <laughs> so it, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't make any sense. It's, so did not the Jewish high priests admit Christ's death when they hurried to Pilate and said that they remembered how, quote, that seducer said, when he was alive, that in three days I will rise again. So they they understood him very clearly. Yeah, that's mm. an important point, that they knew that he had predicted that. Is it at all possible that the Jewish priests would not have made sure of Christ's death? I mean, he, this is their moment. This is their moment of victory, that, that, they, uh, that he be dead. And That's their right. greatest nightmare would be that he didn't really die or that the apostles could somehow make people believe that he didn't really die. That was their worst nightmare. So it, you know, it's just impossible to, to conclude that he didn't really die. Well, especially as they wouldn't have put that to Pilate, the Jews wouldn't have put that to Pilate if they weren't themselves convinced that he was dead. Yes, they would have said, you know, we need greater proof that he's dead. <laughs> That's what they would have said to him. Why don't you go? As a matter of fact, you know, who knows if if the lance was not suggested by the chief priests and the Pharisees? Yeah, we we don't know that, but perhaps it was suggested so that they could be absolutely sure that he was dead. Mm. You know, it's it's a it's a thought, and uh, that that and that he would turn that into. You know, the, the flow from his heart would be actually the, 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 the beginning of the church. That would be very mm. appropriate that in their final blow to him, that he pours out the church upon them. <laughs> Indeed. No, it's, a, it's an interesting thought, but we have no evidence for it. 
<clears throat> so, number 139, the following objection has been put forward. A Hindu fakir was buried alive for some days. When taken up again, he recovered his strength. So it was with Christ. Now, first, this conclusion is poor logic. What right has anyone to say that if a Hindu fakir did this, therefore Christ did it? I mean, there's absolutely no connection at all, right? Because, besides, the fakir preserved his life by trickery, as experts who have investigated these cases show. Again, the fakir was known to be alive when he was buried, but Christ was certainly known to be dead, as we have proved from many testimonies. Yes. Uh, another, number 140, another argument advanced is this, Christ forbade Mary Magdalene to touch him. Why? Because, they say, coming from the tomb alive, Christ was in a very weak physical condition and could not endure the pressure of a human hand without great agony. I mean, this is really scraping the bottom <laughs> of the logical barrel. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately for the argument we read in Matthew 28, 9, that Christ allowed the other women to touch him and even invited the touch of his apostles on the, the, uh, the uh, evening of that same day. Hmm. Number 141, some so, Sorry, Marla, that, just, just on that. Do, do yes. you, is there any um, uh, theological uh, thinking as to why our Lord did not allow uh, Mary Magdalene to touch him? Uh, there's various various uh, explanations. I think the most plausible is that uh, though the Latin is tangere, touch, that the original was cling. See that? In other words, do not cling to me. Right. Because it's, see, I go to my father. Words, I'm not going to stay long. Yeah. Do not cling to me. I, I think that was the idea. Get uh, out of my the, personal uh, space. Uh, well, you know, I think St. Mary Magdalene, she was so devoted to him that mm. she would just want him to stay forever. <laughs> oh, okay. And, and he's not going to stay forever. And I, I think that's probably the best uh, of the solutions uh, of that because the original has the sense of clinging, and, and uh, but it has come over as touching. Mm. So uh, that makes uh, sense. Yes, so anyway, but you know, you can, there's various theories on it. Number 141, uh, <clears throat> some urge that when Christ was on the cross, he did not die, nor was he even near death, because he cried out with a loud voice, and from his side blood and water flowed. But whence does the objector know that Christ cried out with a loud voice? Of course, from the gospel. <laughs> from the same documents which he openly contradicts when they assert positively and on the testimony of eyewitnesses that Christ died. So how can you cite the Gospels when, you, when you're saying they're unbelievable with regard to Christ's death? How can you cite yeah. anything then? So it you know, makes no sense. <clears throat> Quote, <clears throat> and crying with a loud voice, he gave up the ghost. Unquote. Why take one part of the gospel and leave another. Does not this prove that the mind of the objector is made up and that he is simply seeking to bolster a theory he has formed? But his argument is, itself is fallacious. <clears throat> that means bad logic. Mm. Loud 
cries do accompany death. Not the kind of, I mean, I would disagree with the author here, not the kind of death that our Lord died. I mean, if it's a sudden death or a, but ordinarily people don't, don't cry out when they are, when they have bled to death. Yeah. And, 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 you know, when they, you know, I mean, they're, they're so weak. And also the thirst involved, I mean, the, the dryness, remember that he wouldn't take anything. That means his throat was totally dry <clears throat> from loss of all the fluids too. And in that, that crying out with a loud voice was something supernatural. You know, it's, it was not any natural thing. It was supernatural. And it showed that he was the one giving up his life, not and that no human being was taking it from him. Yes, you mentioned that before, the, the, that it was his um, divine person that, that cried out with a loud voice. And you would think that even if an ordinary man had have survived um, his the passion and, and scourging and carrying of the cross, um, he'd be too weak to cry out uh, in any natural oh, form. Impossible. He could hardly whisper. Yeah, uh, he would have passed out by then. You know, it, yes. it's uh, so. Uh, indeed, it frequently happens that a dying person shows wonderful vitality just before the collapse. So, you know, that, that's the way he's arguing it. I would argue it the other way that it's a sign of his divinity. Uh, the flow of blood and water from the side is also a natural phenomenon, even if we leave out uh, of consideration the supernatural. So. Uh, I would disagree with him there too because uh, it's a totally supernatural act the blood and water because his uh, he had already died and there's no pumping so mm. the the uh, the fact that there's a flow means that there was a supernatural pumping and mm the commentators say that this was not just some trickle of blood and water from his side, but this was like a waterfall. Yeah. <clears throat> that it was a gushing forth. See, totally supernatural. And the, the mixture of the blood and water was to say that the waters of baptism have the power to forgive sin because they are mixed with my blood. That they are essentially the same thing, the blood and the water. And from the point of view of the power of the sacrament are the same thing. To be washed in the waters of baptism is to be washed in my blood. So you know, I would, I would, if I were writing the book, I would explain it that way. But uh, uh, so number one hundred and forty-two, the guards at the sepulchre reported that they fell asleep, and that while they were asleep, the disciples came and removed the body. Now this this is quite amusing, and and Saint Augustine <laughs> makes great hay of this. Uh, and we read it during the, the Tenebrae of Holy Week. Matthew says that the soldiers were bribed by the Jewish priests to make this statement. But there are absurdities in the statement itself. Imagine these soldiers being questioned by a sharp district attorney. Were you asleep? <laughs> yes, sir. During your sleep, the disciples came and took the, away the body. Is that right? Yes, sir. That's right. How do you know it? was the disciples if you were asleep. Hey, quick, answer me that. You say that the disciples did it? How do you recognize the, the disciples in your when you're asleep? <clears throat> do you know Peter and Matthew and the others? I mean, these are just ordinary Roman soldiers. They're privates. You know, do they know Peter or Matthew? Oh, those, those are his disciples. Yeah. Could you pick them out from a crowd? No. 
well, how could you recognize them when, when you were snoring? <laughs> <laughs> so it, 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 is, it is utterly absurd. Those soldiers would never have been able to pick out. I mean, you know, they may have seen some Peter and John in the courtyard. Maybe they did, you know, but maybe they didn't. Because in the courtyard, those were the Jewish soldiers. The yeah. Roman soldiers really didn't get Christ until the next day. So, and and Peter and John had taken off. I'll say John didn't, but Peter did, and the other disciples had all taken off by then. And so these are Roman mm. soldiers, uh, probably not highly placed, probably the bottom of of the military uh, barrel uh, that were sent <laughs> to do this, and and most probably you know couldn't tell one Jew from another. Yes, <laughs> and you know they say the disciples came. You know it could have been somebody else. Maybe the Jews came. Maybe the the Pharisees came. How do we know? <laughs> but the fact that they are asserting something that they slept through, uh, you know, it just totally destroys their argument. And Saint Augustine really does a good job on this. <laughs> uh, so uh, number one forty three nor is the fact at all possible for the disciples frightened disunited hopeless now that their leader had died and had been buried could not have suddenly united overcome military guards put at the tomb for this express purpose namely to guard it from the disciples steal away the body and then at the risk of their lives preach a fraud don't forget there's this huge stone as well so even <laughs> if the soldiers were asleep that they are going to, you would need, you know, perhaps six or seven men to roll back that stone. And and mm. it's going to make a lot of noise when you roll it back. There's going to be grunting and all sorts of other noises that people make when they move something heavy. And there's yeah. going to be, you know, move it here, or shove it over there, or, or be careful. There's going to be all kinds of talk. And here the soldiers are sleeping through all, all of this. And then they go into the tomb and they take out the body, and, and they're so quiet that the, they don't bother the soldiers. I mean, the whole thing is absurd. There we go again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, and then they go and preach a fraud, as if that fraud could not have been discovered. And so the author says, if on the other hand, they had united and gone to the Jewish priests and denounced Christ as an imposter who had said he would arise and did not, they would have been richly rewarded. Mm. That would have just, you know, made the, the chief priests and Pharisees very, very happy mm. if his disciples confessed that he was uh, a fraud. <clears throat> they would have been made high priests. But instead of doing this, they preached the resurrection in Jerusalem itself, where it could have been easily investigated. And, and so, you know, this was the very place that it took place. They didn't, you know, run off to Rome and talk about this, where no one even knew what happened. But here, everyone knew what happened, and they preached the resurrection. And they converted 3,000 Jews to the same belief. And a few days later, it was 5,000. Mm. And in a few years, the converts would be numbered by millions all over the empire. That's it. St. Augustine says that if the resurrection had not been an established fact, the conversion of the world to believe in it by a few Galilean fishermen 
would have been as great a miracle as the resurrection itself. <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> In other words, it, yes, if you can get the whole world to believe that somebody rose from the dead who didn't, and that this is said by three, uh, 12 uneducated Jewish fishermen who would have been in the Roman world the, the lowest possible rung on the social ladder, let's put it that way. Yeah. There's the, the, the Romans had no use for the Jews at all. Palestine was a big sore on the empire. They were rebellious. They, 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 uh, the Judea was just considered to be the, the, let's, you know, the, the worst possible place in the empire. And, and they did not like the Jews, the, the Romans. And so, you know, think of Jewish men who are fishermen. You know, they're not philosophers. They're not patricians. They're not noblemen. Jewish men who are fishermen coming to Rome and telling everybody that you have to stop worshiping your idols, the state religion, and worship a crucified Jew. Now, crucifixion was the same thing as uh, being electrocuted. So it'd be like saying you have to to worship this Jewish criminal, you know, in the eyes of the Romans, this Jewish criminal that was put to death in the electric chair. <laughs> Just think about that, 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 you know, we're going to overturn your idols and all of these gods that protect Rome, you know. And so St. Augustine is right. I mean, you know, that would be a greater miracle if you could do that. Than the resurrection itself yes i mean yes. people just would have laughed you to scorn they would have just said you're 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 out of your mind you're balmy and uh, you know as in certain cases saint paul was left to scorn or they tried to put him to death yes but you know when you insulted the roman gods the the romans kept that idolatrous religion as a as a religion of state in order precisely to uh, unify the roman state so they were very sensitive about that stuff. And as you know, there, there were decrees of the Senate that said, you know, if you, you know, contradict the gods and, and you, know, you get put to death. And uh, so uh, the whole thing makes no sense unless Christ truly rose from the dead. It doesn't make any sense at all unless he yeah, truly absolutely. rose from the dead. Yeah. So number 144. The against the apparitions of Christ, it has been urged that the witnesses to the resurrection were in an abnormal state, full of fear, and actually stating that they thought they saw a ghost. But the witnesses, no matter how much they were afraid, certainly used their senses in touching, hearing, and seeing Christ when he removed their doubts by inviting such actions, even going so far as to eat what they handed him and then giving back some morsels, showing if they wished to, excuse me, investigate that the food had been unchanged. Hmm. See, in, in this objection, it is supposed that Christ deliberately deceived the witnesses, for it is Christ who says, see my hands and feet, that it is I myself, handle and see, for a spirit hath no flesh and bones as you see me to have. That's in St. Luke. Chapter 24, mm. verse 38. So, you know, touch me. I am not some spiritual thing. I am not a figment of your imagination. It is I, 
I have come back. I have a body. It's, it's crystal clear. Uh, number 145. Against the fact that Christ arose to prove his mission, it is argued that if he did this, he would have shown himself to all men. Right. Yes, either immediately or immediately. That is, by appearing to some himself and to others by the testimony of these eyewitnesses. After giving abundant proofs of the resurrection by appearing to many, even to 500 at once, as St. Paul testifies to, and during the space of 40 days, are we to demand that Christ should remain on the earth and appear to each and every individual? And in such a case, would the individual believe? <laughs> Why? Yeah. Christ himself said in the parable of Dives and Lazarus that some men would not believe even if one came to them from the dead. Yeah. See, uh, the rich man said, you know, tell my brothers uh, and, you know, send... Uh, uh, Abraham to tell or Moses was one of the Old Testament characters and uh, our God said you know if they don't believe the uh, you know, the gospel they would they would not believe somebody who came back from the dead and told them yeah you know unbelief is a very very hard thing it's it's like a it's as hard as a diamond it it, it you know will not crack. Uh, even under very extreme pressure, it's something called unbelief when you refuse to believe, and uh, so uh, and and our Lord will not waste His miracles on those people. I said before in other objections where they they contradict themselves just to prove their theory. Mm -hmm. Yes, they they they, they have a, a what we call an a priori against the resurrection. That means a prejudice essentially mm. against it because they do not want to accept the the Catholic faith. And they look for anything in order to, to repudiate it. Yeah. So, uh, continuing there, would not men of today say that they saw a ghost and suspect some trickery? Is It is absurd to imagine that Christ would force our intellectual assent against our wills. He gives sufficient and abundant evidence. Free man has the terrible responsibility of weighing that evidence and accepting what it proves. Hmm. So we know historical things from eyewitnesses at the time, everything, Julius Caesar, Cicero, uh, George Washington, uh, Captain Cook, uh, you know, <laughs> uh, the, the, uh, everything we know in history is from eyewitness testimony. Yeah. And, and so it, it is perfectly normal that, that we should go on eyewitness testimony, uh, reliable eyewitness testimony with regard to the death and resurrection of Christ. <clears throat> Number 146, it is argued that the sign of Jonas was not the resurrection of Christ, for Christ was not in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. But we must compute the time according to the usual Jewish method of that period. Uh, the expression three days and three nights means parts of those days. See, it doesn't mean 72 hours. Right. If you touch the day, so to speak, that's counted for a day. So it was Friday night, all Saturday, and Sunday morning. That's three days for the Jews. Right. Right, so that's perfectly normal that they said it that way. In Matthew, so it was actually 40 hours. In Matt, That's why we have the 40 hours devotion. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 21, we read that Christ foretold his death and that on the third day he would rise again. See? 
so Friday, Saturday, Sunday. For those who wish more evidence of the following, the following references are given, and I will refer the our listeners to the book. Yeah. If the listeners have not already bought this book, they should, right? yes. because it's an excellent book. It's probably not very expensive. I can't remember how much it costs, but it's it's available, and they should order it. Yeah, it's not out in reprint. Uh, it's, it's but it's available quite you know quite often on uh, Amazon, you know, secondhand, and I think I picked mine up for yes. about twelve dollars or something. Yes, it, it has a lot of great information in it. So mm -hmm. there's uh, there's probably uh, fifteen other references to. Uh, for what he's saying there. Uh, in number 147, it is argued that the evangelists contradict each other, one, as to the time of the women going to the sepulcher, and two, in giving the names of the women. So we'll look at that. Hmm. Matthew, in chapter 28, says, And in the end of the Sabbath, when it began to dawn, towards the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. So the first day of the week is Sunday. And so as it began to dawn, so it's between darkness and dawn, <clears throat> Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. Mark says, quote, and when the Sabbath was passed, that means Saturday, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, bought sweet spices that coming they might anoint Jesus. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they come to the sepulcher, the sun being now risen. Right. So the, the Sabbath ends at sundown of Saturday. Right. So that means they, they could have gone out Saturday night and bought the spices. And hmm. then early Sunday morning, as the sun was rising, they go to the sepulcher. So about 6 a.m., more or less. Uh, hmm. That's It was around the time of the equinox, so the... the you know, more or less 6 a.m., uh, maybe a little earlier. Luke says in chapter uh, 24, and on the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they, the women, came to the sepulcher. So he doesn't mention anybody hmm. in particular. John in chapter 20 says, and on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene cometh early when it was yet dark unto the sepulcher. Hmm. All right, so that's the testimony. So uh, the author reconciles all of this. <clears throat> he says, Matthew, the end of the Sabbath when it began to dawn, that's what he says uh, as far as time, Mark, when the Sabbath was passed, very early in the morning, the sun being now risen. Luke says, very early in the morning. John says, early when it was yet dark. Evidently, all these accounts refer to the dawn and its progress from darkness to brightness. So... Yeah, just like it takes time for the sun to set, also it takes time for the sun to rise. <laughs> and and anyone would consider it dawn, as long as you can see the, the rays of the sun you know, starting, you can see the, the aurora in the east yeah. uh, coming, and you'd say, well, it's dawn, even though it's quite dark. You know, this is just common sense and knowledge. Yeah. So, so are we to demand that each writer say at the exact time of 5.34 a.m., the tomb was found empty? <laughs> yeah, if they, they should have looked at their this, wristwatch. Yes. You know, digital, probably. Or atomic. Yeah. They probably had atomic watches. Uh, so <laughs> should we not suspect the conspiracy? You know, they all were there at 5.34 
The accidental yeah. divergences in the accounts are proofs of the independence of the writers from each other and also of their sincere witness to the truth. Yes. So the persons, now he addresses the persons named in the four accounts. Matthew names Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. Mark names Magdalene, Mary, the mother of James, <clears throat> Salome. Luke names they, that is the women. John names Mary Magdalene. Therefore, none of the evangelists gives a complete list of the names, and John implies that Mary Magdalene was not alone. Hmm. Number 150, it is argued that Luke and Mark contradict each other because Luke says the women prepared spices on the day of the crucifixion, and Mark says that they bought spices after the Sabbath was passed. But cannot these statements both be true together? Is it not possible to prepare some spices on Friday and buy new supplies on a day following? Yeah. You know, is that what's wrong with that? You know, you might say we don't have enough. We have to get some more. I mean, you know, hmm. we all do that. You know, and when company's coming or something like that, or you run out to the. Uh, to the store that's open for 24 hours <laughs> i don't know yeah. do you have those in australia didn't they anoint our, yeah, the, our, uh, uh, our lord's body on on the day of the, the of the crucifixion and come to yes. anoint it again is that right uh i can't remember i don't want to say yes or no because i can't remember okay. uh okay. but i do think they did some anointing uh on the day of the crucifixion but don't forget that they had to bury him before the and seal the tomb before the sun went down. Right, sun yes. goes down, you know, you know, at that time, I'm not sure exactly, uh, but probably 5.30, 6 p.m., uh, our Lord is taken down from the cross, and the, the, uh, there's a passage of time there. So they were in a, in a hurry to, yes. to accomplish this before the sun went down. Hmm. Uh, so... Uh, uh, Nevertheless, no 7-Elevens uh, at that time, my lord. Excuse me? Nevertheless, no 7-Elevens. Oh, no do you have 7-Elevens in, in Australia? Yes, we do, yeah. You do? Okay. Um, well, no, they had no 7-Elevens, but <laughs> they managed somehow. Uh, so <laughs> I don't think you can get spices in 7-Elevens anyway. <laughs> Certainly no, not no. in this country. <laughs> Perhaps not linen burial cloths either. No, Lennon. No. So a certain gentleman, number 151, now he goes through these. We're getting really, really absurd in these, but we'll go through them. Yep. A certain gentleman fancies that he has discovered many contradictions in the accounts. In Mark, Joseph of Arimathea is a noble counselor. In Matthew, Joseph is a disciple of Christ. In John, Joseph is a disciple of Christ in secret. Now, Joseph of Arimathea was the one that owned the tomb and uh, it was a new tomb, and he, he uh, helped to put Christ in it. But cannot a noble, uh, the author responds, but cannot a noble counselor be at the same time a disciple of Christ and, and that in secret? <clears throat> in other words, what's incompatible about those three things? So, uh, you know, this is really getting into, into uh, the, the world of the insane. These, Nitpicky. These, uh, injections. Yeah, you know, so uh, number 152, but continues the gentleman. Uh, I'd love to know who the gentleman is. John says that Joseph anointed Christ's body. 
Mark omits the fact and says the women prepared to anoint the body. Now the gentleman argues if Joseph, meaning of Arimathea, had already anointed the body, the women would not have prepared the spices. But, the author responds, Mark does not deny that Joseph anointed the body of Christ, nor is it strange that the women should wish to anoint the body a second time, especially mm. as Christ had been buried hastily because of the eve of the Sabbath. Yeah. The women simply wish to complete the holy work done swiftly by Joseph. All right. Number 153. But, <clears throat> yes, you know, really, this doesn't, you know, merit much thought. <laughs> but the gentleman is not satisfied. He urges this difficulty. Mark says that Joseph alone buried Christ. John says that Joseph and Nicodemus buried Christ. Now, it is, the only, it is only the objector who adds the word alone. Yes. Joseph is named by Mark as the leader in the burial, the one who asked the body from Pilate and received it. That does not exclude people. I mean, he's the only one that, that buried Christ. Nobody else did any work in, in helping to bury Christ. Nobody. I mean, what, what a nut to, to, <laughs> to conclude that. You know? Uh, Not to so, mention the practical uh, um, ability to carry the body um, would, would have been very yes. difficult for one person. Yes. And, you know, our Blessed Lady, St. John, all of the other people that you would assume are there, the holy women, and, and you know, they just you know, take the body, Joseph of Arimathea, <laughs> and we'll go home. <laughs> you know, yep. this man, you know, really needs a psychiatrist. So uh, in, in 154, uh, the author says, the gentleman, however, being persistent, still argues, but Mark says that the body of Christ was wrapped only in fine linen and that the women intended to anoint the body of Christ. John says that the body of Christ was wrapped in linen and spices and the women were not mentioned, are not mentioned. Now, I, your author responds, again, it is only the objector who adds the word only to Mark's account and absolutely nothing can be concluded from the fact that John does not mention the women. The silence of John on this point does not contradict Mark's definite statement. Yeah. There, there's a uh, saying in philosophy, from silence you cannot make an argument. Hmm. Uh, you know, you, if, so, if, if there's nothing, nothing comes. You know? <laughs> so, yeah, that's right. Uh, that, that's the, the point here. But the gentleman, number 155, simply must find some contradiction. He says... John gives the reason why Joseph buried Christ in his own tomb. Mark is silent on this point. Your author responds. But again, the silence of Mark does not contradict the statement of John. Contradictory statements, by the way, are a pair of statements, one of which affirms and the other of which denies the very same thing at the very same time. You know, so uh, so uh, you would say, you know, the. Uh, this is a cow, this is not a cow. That's contradictory. Hmm. Right? So no such contradiction can be found in the accounts of the resurrection. <clears throat> Even granting that one could be found, the contradictions would wage some detail of time or person or action accompanying the resurrection. A great fact that Christ rose from the dead would not be touched. Touche. So that wraps up this show, my lord. Um, would you like to uh, add anything else? Uh, 
No, I, your author uh, here is very thorough, and, and this uh, is one of the best I've seen in uh, you know uh, addressing these objections uh, and uh, and all of the laying out the the resurrection. Uh, he, uh, I haven't seen any others that do it any better. Uh, so you know, I highly recommend this book, mm. uh, and that uh, people should it's... be able to at least give the gist of what is being said here. Mm. Uh, that. Uh, uh, so that they can convince people of, of the truth of the Catholic faith. You know, you never know. I, I, I have to, of course, I'm a priest, and people bring it up to me, I'm a bishop, and hmm. people bring it up to me all the time. Uh, but, you know, you, you do get into discussions with people, and, and you should know how to defend the faith, uh, that Christ truly rose from the dead, and how we know this. And, and you know, there's, many, uh, there's much usefulness in all of this. Hmm. I definitely agree with that. the 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 book is not dry. Uh, in fact, you know, as we've seen in this show, particularly, there's some amusing parts in it, and um, so that keeps you very interested. And it's also good for uh, the lay to lay folk to have uh, a book like this and, and read it, um, you know, regularly because of the temptations that are out there against the faith uh, all the time, even if just for that reason. So um, yes, it is something to review. You know, there's a lot in it, and uh, you have to might have to read the chapters a few times to really take it in. Yes. And so th that's the final show for 2016, my Lord, uh, uh, in Season 5 for Apologetics. Um, we are only about halfway through the text, however, so there's plenty more to come in the next season, and uh, our listeners will be able to uh, hear that uh, in late January, early February for the next show. So uh, mm -hmm. you have a big Christmas plan, my Lord, followed by a much-anticipated trip down under <laughs> over New Year's. Yes. Well, yes, the, the main focus of my thoughts right now are, are Australia. So I'm, it's like a, well, like a rocket that is sitting on at Cape Canaveral. You know, the countdown has started to, for the trip to Australia. So I, I, uh, I got uh, my ETA. I went on the a line and got the uh, Australia wants you to get an ETA. Uh, it's really filling out just a form saying who you are and here's my passport yeah. number. And charging you $39 American for it. Uh, for the privilege. And uh, yes, to set foot in Australia. And so they say, you know, this will take, you know, possibly two weeks to process, you know. So, yeah. all right, you know, I'm glad I did it now. And so I send it in and it comes back immediately as if, as if it were, as if it hadn't gotten there. You know how you get mail back that doesn't go through. Immediately yes. it came back. You have been approved for, you know, visiting Australia. <laughs> so... Uh, so I'm all set, and uh, just to check you're not a terrorist, my lord. I, no, I, I think I checked out pretty well, <laughs> but I think the happiest thing was the the fact that they got thirty nine dollars out of me. So, well, I'm uh, I'm glad you you're looking forward to the to the trip as much as we are. Um, uh, we're mission country, we don't often get the grace of a uh, of a bishop's visit. So, many children mm -hmm. uh, down here are getting ready for confirmation, and uh, we're certainly looking forward to your conferences as well. It's on uh, it's on. There's a special website for it. Um, so anyone who isn't aware in Australia, I think he's, uh, he's not interested in being aware, uh, but we're certainly getting, mm -hmm. getting the word out. Yes. Yes. I'm looking forward to it. It's, uh, I've never been to Australia. It's, uh, an adventure. Yes. So, uh, uh, I, yes. I'm looking we'll definitely to show you some good Australian hospitality. Well, once again, my Lord, yes. thank you for your time. Uh, we'll talk to you again, uh, next season as we continue this series. Uh, may God bless you. Thank you very much. If you have any questions about anything you heard on today's episode, please email questions at truerestoration.org. 
We'd like to remind you that Apologetics is a production of member-supported Restoration Radio. All rights are reserved and any duplication without explicit written permission is forbidden. To obtain permission, please write to copyright at truerestoration.org. All of us here at Member Supported Restoration Radio hope that you found this show to be informative, helpful and beneficial to you, to you and to your faith. In return, please think of offering a Mass, a Rosary or even a simple Ave for our work the next time you pray. For the Restoration, I'm Phil Stone. May God bless you. This program was brought to you free of charge by the sponsorship of Novus Ordo Watch. See for yourself that the Church of the Second Vatican Council is not in fact the Catholic Church of the Ages. Go to NovusOrdoWatch.org. That's NovusOrdoWatch.org.